this whole sermon series, the Lord has been teaching me something each week. It really, it, it, it's been, if you haven't gotten anything out of the last eight weeks, I have gotten something out of the last eight weeks. And this, this week was seeming so easy. I was like, Lord, I guess we're finishing this, you know. Uh, I, I guess this one's just easy. You're not going to really throw some big curveball at me. And then uh, we've had our grandkids since uh, Thursday night. Now, I love my grandkids. I really do. I love my grandkids. Um, but I have decided that the reason the Lord gives us grandkids is so we can remember why we had kids, because we love kids, but also remember that you're not supposed to strangle them and just send them back home. And that's kind of where we were this morning. I've had a wonderful time until you have to dress two little girls and get them out of the house and in a car and get them somewhere on time. And they just weren't cooperating. And, you know, I've got one. She's five years old, and she's in this stage of... uh, I don't want to. I don't want to wear anything cute. I want to wear something cool. <laughs> I was like, "Well, I didn't pack your clothes here, okay? I know this has bunnies on it, and that's probably cute, but I didn't pack it for you. So you need to put something on." So we just laid out some. You, I'm going to go away before my head blows off, and you can pick one of these four things, okay? And you just put one on, and we'll be okay. She wanted to wear her nightgown. That's. <laughs> I would have been okay with it, but, you know, Lolly's not putting up with that. So, um, But it was good. I didn't see Lolly's back there going, no. See, Lolly is sitting in the back this morning just in case that six-year-old needs some help in children's ministry. All righty. Okay. Now that I've got that off my chest. So I have my counselor sitting down here on the front row so he can give me, <laughs> give me advice. How did that make you feel, Chris? Okay. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning. So if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, just stick your finger in Luke chapter 19 because we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. 1972. How many of you were even alive in 1972? This is making me feel really old right now. (laughs) 1972. 27 years after World War II ended. On the island of Guam, which is a Pacific island, a Japanese soldier was discovered still waiting on instructions from Tokyo, still defending his post. 27 years later. That's committed, right? Two years later, on a Philippine island, they found another Japanese soldier. Still defending his post, still doing the last thing that he was told to do. Stay here until we come back and get you. Wow. 2005. Now, who was alive in 2005? We'll get a few more hands here. There we go. Okay. 2005. On another Pacific island, two Japanese soldiers were discovered. There were, they were both in their late 80s by now. And they were still waiting on instructions from back home. They were still doing the last thing that they were told to do. Defend this post until we tell you to do something else. That's uncommon commitment. And they were doing it for an earthly king and an earthly 
kingdom. We have a heavenly king and a heavenly kingdom. How much more should we be committed to the things of our king? And everybody said, amen. Thank you. All right. We are finishing up our study on the Beatitudes. Our lesson series is called Illuminate. Eight times Jesus said that you're blessed. And this morning, we're going to talk about being blessed when we are uncommonly committed. Now, let's throw that graphic up one last time. One last time. It's the last time you have to look at it. Just to, to review. Over here on the left side, this is Jesus working through us to bring us to a place where we hunger and thirst for him. And the Bible says that when we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he fills us. And when we come to this place of filling, then he sends us down so he can minister through us. Minister to us, minister through us. You got that? All right. So we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. And here's our last blessing, the last beatitude. Remember, the word beatitude is just an old English word for blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may or may not remember, but you can just look back a little bit in your Bible there. The very first beatitude, the very first blessing that Jesus gave was blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognize their inability so they can connect with God's ability. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we come to the last blessing where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus bookends all of these blessings with heaven, with his presence. Now, please understand that when he says the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about someday that you'll go to heaven. What he's talking about is his royal rule and reign, his authority, his provision. Everything that we could ever need is already here for us. Jesus' first message was repent because the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven with him, and he has left the kingdom of heaven for us. We got that? All right. So, he began and he ended. We need the power of the kingdom of heaven to start our journey, and we need it to continue. But as we're talking here this morning, and we're talking about blessed, something I've not brought out any of this time is, have you noticed that the blessings on the need See, we think of the blessing as the answer, but he gives us the answer, but he says we're blessed when we're in need, when we recognize our need for him. That is a blessing. And he always gives us the answer to that need. But this morning, I'm going to tell you, don't just focus on persecution. Because guess what? As Americans, we don't like that, do we? We don't even like to think about it. We've not really faced any kind of persecution. Uh-huh, somebody said something ugly about me because I love Jesus. That's about all that we get. They didn't let me in the cool club because I'm a Christian. 
But there are places all over the world where there is real persecution going on. Will it ever come to America? Who knows? I mean, there are those that say definitely. There are those that say, you know, we're, we're so special, God would never let that happen. Uh, truth's probably somewhere in the middle, right? But he said, you're blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. But let's not focus on just the persecution. Let's focus on righteousness. When we focus on righteousness, we will realize that the kingdom of heaven is there for us. And we should have an uncommon commitment to the kingdom of heaven, to the kingdom of God. And real quickly this morning, I want to show you five uncommon commitments to God's kingdom. And this is where we're going to turn over to Luke chapter 19. Starting in verse 12. The first thing that I want to show you is commitment to the king's mission. Commitment to the king's mission. Luke 19, 12. A nobleman went into a far country. That word nobleman can be translated a king. A king went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. Engage in business until I come. Now, for all of you wondering what is a mina, what the heck is a mina? It's about three months' worth of wages, so he gave them provision. What the king did right here is he gave them a mission, he gave them the authority, and he gave them the the provision. He gave them the mission, engage in business. He gave them the authority, until I come back. Until I come back, you are speaking for me. And then he gave them the provision to engage in the king's business. Anything that the Lord asks you to do, he has already given you everything that you need to succeed. So when you start to, to, to recognize the call of God on your life, when you, when you begin to recognize that God is asking you to do something, to step out and do something, he has already provided everything that you're going to need to make that successful. He has gone before you, but it doesn't look like it. doesn't matter what it looks like, right? We walk by faith and not by sight. I mean, if we only step out when it looks good, the enemy's going to make sure it never looks good. Do you think it looked like just a a sunny, beautiful day when Peter stepped out on the water? That was a storm. There was possibly a ghost out there claiming to be Jesus. And he's going to step out on the water, right? Everything is not always going to be smooth. Everything is not always going to look great. This is the place where persecution starts to come, where we start to recognize, even if people aren't persecuting me, the enemy is. But the Lord has given us everything that we need to step into that place of mission, authority, and provision. Everything. Unlike my high school football coaches. My high school football coaches should have been fired. 
especially the offensive coordinator. Because, I mean, he, 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 he was, a, he was a, a very small, very slender, very nervous guy. And when the pressure got on in the middle of the game, he would just kind of lose it. <laughs> he would send plays in that we didn't run. He would say, hey, do this with this formation. And we didn't do that. As, as a team, we would have to look at each other and go, okay, well, you go over there, you go over there, and you go over there. We're going to have to do something. So it's no wonder that my senior year, we lost every game. Every game. We played 10 games. We lost 10 games. In fact, my junior and senior year, we won the first two games of my, my junior year. And we're going to be the best team ever. <laughs> we lost 18 games in a row. 18 games in a row. Why? Because the mission wasn't clear. We had not been given everything that we needed to succeed. But let me tell you that in God's kingdom, he never calls the wrong plays. It may look like the wrong place because it's not what you would do, but if it's what you would do, it would probably be wrong. Or you would not get the right result. Or you would not get the result that God wants you to get. You know that you can do some things to take some pressure off yourself. And it might make you feel good for a moment, but, the God, but God has a plan in the midst of all this. And he's always going to call the right play. He's always going to lead you the right way. It's never going to be wrong. So we need to have commitment to the king's mission. Here's the second uncommon commitment. Commitment to the king's return. Commitment to the king's return. Remember what he said right there. He said, you engage in business until I come. And then in verse 15, the very first part of verse 15, it says, when he returned after having received his kingdom, he said he was going to return and that he did return. The second to the last scripture in the Bible is Jesus speaking and he says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Now, we sit here as human beings thinking, well, that was 2,000 years ago, and he hasn't shown up yet, so obviously he's not coming quickly. But was he just talking about time, or was he talking about when he comes? It's like that. He said, in the twinkle of an eye, in a moment, in the moment that the Lord decides this is it, he'll be there. He'll be there. And we have to have a commitment to continue to engage in kingdom business until he comes. Because one thing or the other is true. Either he's going to come back and get us or we're going to go see him. And we should be engaged in kingdom business. Revelation 19 Verse 8 says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, who's his bride? This is this pop quiz. Who's his bride? The church. That's right. I used to know ladies and hey, understand ladies, you know, because it always talks about us being sons of God. Don't worry because we're also the bride of Christ. 
So, you know, it, it all kind of equals out there, all right? The bride has made herself ready. Who made herself ready? The bride. Who's the bride? The church. So are we making ourselves ready? We should be. <laughs> it was granted for her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Deeds. That speaks of doing, right? That, that speaks of doing something. What kind of deeds? The deeds I want to do? Righteous deeds. The deeds that God wants us to do. Now think back to our, our beatitude. Why were they persecuted? Because of righteousness. So when we begin to make ourselves ready, when we begin to look different than the world, when we begin to stand up for the things of God, those are our righteous deeds. But that's also when persecution's going to come. Is this going off the cliff? Or? <laughs> so righteousness, righteous deeds. We've been called to do righteous deeds. And that's an uncommon commitment to the king's return. When I was a kid, when I was a little kid, because I was alive in 1972, when I was a little kid there in the late 70s, everybody was talking about the rapture. It was just rapture, 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 rapture. Now, it may just have been my, my parents' little group there, but they were always talking about the rapture. I can remember being a little kid and my parents taking me down to the movie theater to see a movie called The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody else have to sit through that? Yes. The Late Great Planet Earth. Just talking about the end days, talking about the rapture. And then they'd send you to church camp and they would show you some of the the, the worst movies ever made on the planet as far as production value. And they were all about the rapture. It was all about scaring these little kids into getting saved. But then, then people stopped talking about the rapture. They stopped talking about Jesus coming back. You know, we're like that sometimes, aren't we? I mean, the Lord told me one time, he said, my, my, my kids aren't good at driving down the, the center of the road. We're usually in one ditch or the other. And then we overcorrect and get over in the other ditch and we overcorrect. It's kind of like a pendulum swinging. There was so much talking about the end times that nobody was focusing on anything but the end times. But you know what? We've been in the end times since Jesus said it was finished. What's going to happen is going to happen. Even if I don't understand all of it, if I don't know, you know, bang, 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 bang. If we get so focused on the end times, are we unfocused on people that need Jesus today? But we don't want to get so focused on just the needs of the people and forget that our king's coming back. There needs to be this balance. If I'm not absolutely committed that Jesus is coming back or I'm going there and that what I do absolutely matters, I may do nothing. Which leads us to the next one. An uncommon commitment to accountability. Verse 15 there in Luke 19. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered... These servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing 
business. The Lord wants to know what we've gained by doing his business. Oh, this is uncomfortable, isn't it? Tell me how much Jesus loves me. He does love you. And he trusts you. And he's put in your hand everything that you need to do everything he's called you to do. What has he called you to do? He may not have called you to be Billy Graham. He may have called you to be a stay-at-home mom. And we, we, we look at like Billy Graham's the greatest thing ever, and he was a great evangelist, but a stay-at-home mom, if that's her call, that's what she should be doing, raising up the next generation of Jesus people. Stay-at-home dads, too. Don't want to be sexist here. It can happen. So, we need to be doing. The book of James essentially says, stop saying that you're a Christian and live like you're a Christian. Why? Because faith without corresponding deeds is dead. It's not enough to say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus. There needs to be some corresponding deeds. Now, the corresponding deeds don't make you saved. They just prove that you are saved. Because if you've been connected with Jesus, some Jesus is going to come out of you. But sometimes we're like Moses, aren't we? God called Moses, and what did Moses do? Oh, Lord, not me. No, Lord, you got the wrong one. I'm not good at this, Lord. I'm not good at speaking. I'm not good. I can't go down there and tell them that you said all this. What does the Lord say to him? He said, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Do you know what was in his hand? His shepherd's staff. That same staff that the Lord would use to do miracles. He had had it all that time. He probably wasn't even looking. He's probably, this whole thing? This whole thing? What has God put in your life? There is a gift. There is a call. There is a talent that God can use. What is it? It may just be mercy. You may just love hugging on people. That's okay. The Lord will use you the way that he created you. You just need to be willing to be used. All right. In Revelations 20, verse 12. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Your revelation tells us that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, right? So what are we? We're we're reading the book of life. This is where those who are connected with Jesus, this is where their names are written, okay? I've got to make that connection for you. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Not, not judged, are you eternally saved? Do you, are you in this relationship? But judged for what you've done. Judged for the things that the Lord has put in your hands to do. Have you been faithful to do them? Do you have an uncommon commitment to the mission of the kingdom. That's what we're going to be judged on. Um, 
I knew a man um, years ago that uh, when he was in his late 30s, I believe it was, he was struck by lightning, and he died. And that would be a terrible story if that was the end of it, right? But the Lord took him to heaven. And I absolutely believe this story. The Lord took him to heaven. And he stood before the Lord. And he said, the Lord didn't ask me about my Bible reading time. The Lord didn't ask me about my prayer life. The Lord didn't ask me if I had been tithing. The Lord didn't ask me if I had been witnessing. Now, all of those things are things that we've been told to do. But the only thing the Lord asked him was, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And the Lord told him, I'm going to send you back so you can learn to love. And he came back and he went into ministry. And the Lord used him powerfully all around the world. Strong prophetic voice coming out of him. And then he finally died for good. He stayed dead this time. Well, guess what day he died on? Valentine's Day. I really believe that was the Lord saying, you learned how to love. You learned how to love. The Beatitudes, these blessings that we're talking about, it's all about love. It's all about God loving us and then God loving through us. Are we learning how to love? Number four, our fourth commitment. Commitment to kingdom increase. Verse 16 there in Luke 19 says, The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you, are, you will be over five cities. This is a quick one. The only reason the Lord left you here was to increase the kingdom. The only reason the Lord has left you here as a believer is to increase the kingdom. We get distracted with increasing our kingdom. How much money can I make? How big a house can I, you know, uh, my love life, blah, blah, blah. Now, all those things are good. But when they become the focus, when they become the first thing in our lives, we are missing God. He left us here to increase the kingdom. And he's given each and every one of us a mina, you might say. Are we going to be able to stand before him and go, hey, Lord, I doubled it for you. And here's the fifth and last one. A commitment to not be stopped by fear. Luke 19, 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you. I was afraid of you. What was he really saying? I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid to step out. 
Because what if I'm wrong? If we're afraid of the king, we're not serving the right king. Once again, he has given us everything that we need. Everything that we need. Now let's finish up back in Matthew chapter 5. I'm almost done here. Back in Matthew chapter 5, let's read verse 10 again. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Anybody ever said anything ugly about you? You're blessed. Rejoice. Be glad. When's the last time you went, somebody said something to you and you went, Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Rejoice. Be glad when you're rejected. Like, I don't like rejection. I really don't like rejection. And, you know, the Lord put me in a, in a position where I have to deal with it like once a week. Okay, standing up here, staring at y'all, looking at me going, okay. That's rejection once a week. <laughs> we don't like rejection. We don't like when we, when we say something like, uh, man, I believe God's in control. And people look at you like, God? God is in control? If God is in control, he's really messed this up. And then you sit there going, I don't know what to say next. We should rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Because our reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're blessed. So rejoice and be glad that your uncommon commitment to God's kingdom is paying off. Even if it stirs up trouble. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. That's rude. That's flat out rude right there. Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. But if you're not being salty, you're not worth anything to the kingdom. Is that not what he just said? He said, be salty. Be salty. If we're not being salty, we're not, we're not being worth something to the kingdom. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life. Hey, we all have issues that go on in our life. Some of them are huge. And I would never negate the things that you have gone through, the things that have happened to you, the things that you're going through right now. I would never negate that. But even in the midst of all the trials, all the pain, there's Jesus. There's Jesus. The trials are going to come. Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. You will have stuff. You will have junk. Something will happen. And so many people like to put a period right there. 
Because Je- Jesus said in his life we were going to have bad stuff happen to us. Boo-hoo. But Jesus didn't stop there. You'll have tribulation, but, but. Now, it's probably been a long time since some of you were in school, but but is a conjunction. That means he's just said something. He's about to hook it onto this, okay? But be of good cheer. Here's that rejoice again. Be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. What are you going through? I overcame it. It hurts. I overcame it. I don't know if I can get through it. Yeah, but I overcame it. And here's the best thing of all, the best thing of all. Even if the tribulation and the trial kills us, we still get to go before our king. There is nothing the enemy can steal from us. Nothing. Oh, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) All right. There was a young salesman who uh, was out... uh, making his rounds. He was a little bit arrogant, and he was selling nothing. Couldn't sell anything to anybody. So his supervisor called him in. His, his district manager called him in and said, hey, you've been doing this for a while. I know you've been, you've been uh, uh, seeing people because we're setting the appointments for you, but you're not selling anything. What's going on? And of course, the salesman said, well, it's all their fault. It's all their fault. They just don't know good products when they see it. I'm showing them everything. I'm telling them exactly the way that it should be. And then he said, well, you know the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Right? And his sales manager stopped him right there and said, whoa, 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 whoa. That's your problem. Your job isn't to make them drink. Your job is to make them thirsty. Are we living our lives in such a way that we're making people thirsty for God? Even in the midst of trials, people can get thirsty from God just watching you, just seeing you go through it. Is God that we may not get on this side? I've asked a lot of those questions. Why did my grandfather, who was one of my spiritual heroes, who I saw lay hands on the sick, who I saw uh, people be healed, this guy who, would, who, when my grandmother went shopping, he gladly went, not because he liked to go to the mall, but because he got to sit out there with all the other old men, and he would tell them about Jesus. Why did he die of a terrible disease? I don't have that answer. I don't know. But I know the moment that he closed his eyes for the last time, he stepped over into his reward. His body no longer hurting, no longer racked with disease. He stood before God and God said, well done. Well done. We live this life for nothing else except to hear, well done. Not for a bigger paycheck. I hope you get a bigger paycheck. You can tithe more. I hope, I hope that, you, that, that the Lord brings you to a place that you see a lot of, of great things in your life. But it's not about the things. It's about the kingdom. It is about the kingdom. 
Here's my question as, as we're ending. Have you committed to the king who has given you everything you need to succeed? If the answer is yes, then serve him without reservation. Have you committed to the king's return? If the answer is yes, then serve him by making yourself ready. Because as you get ready, we get ready. Because the bride is making herself ready. Have you committed to the king's accountability? Yes? Then serve like he's watching and cheering us on. I love that scripture in Hebrews. I'm sorry, I know I'm supposed to be finishing, but... That scripture in Hebrews where it says that we're watched by a great cloud of witnesses. Things that they long to see. We get to walk in. That great cloud of witnesses and they're cheering us on. They're going, go for it, go for it, go for it. Have you committed to increasing God's kingdom? Then serve those who are struggling. Because we have brothers and sisters sitting around us this morning. They're struggling. You're going to go to work tomorrow. And there may be people there that are struggling. They may be Christians. They may not be Christians. But guess what? God's given you everything that you need to step into the storm of their life and bring peace. Have you committed to not being stopped by fear? Then serve God by making people thirsty for him. Will you stand with me? Here's the ultimate question. Are you learning to love? Are you learning to love? I know in a room like this, most of us, we have a relationship with the Lord. And the enemy will do everything. He will stir up everything that he can to keep you from loving. He'll keep you from learning to love those that nobody else wants to love. But we're called to love those that nobody else wants to love. That is the greatest part of the gospel story is that Jesus died for all mankind all of us the good the bad and the ugly so are you good are you bad or are you ugly because it doesn't it doesn't matter how good we've been we can never be good enough That's why Jesus died. That's what we're going to celebrate next week. And I love Easter. Love Easter. Celebrating the the resurrection of our king. That's why he did it. Because we can never be good enough. You might be a good person. You may naturally just be a really, really good person. But it's never good enough to obtain righteousness. Right standing with God. 
So we're really in the same boat with those that we would look at and say, that's a bad person. And if you look at yourself like you are a bad person, that's not what God says about you. Now, if you're ugly, you need to talk to your mom and dad. I can do nothing about that. But this morning, I'm asking you as brothers and sisters in Christ, are we learning to love? Are we learning to love? Because we're going to have an opportunity to love probably daily. Are we learning to love? Would you just pray with me for a minute? If you don't mind, you know, just closing your eyes. You can bow your head if you want to. And the only reason I ask this is, is not because that I think that they're, it, it, it's more special. But sometimes when we just close our eyes, we get alone with God. We stop worrying about the people that are to our right and to our left. We're just alone with God. And I'm going to just ask a simple question. Are you willing to learn to love? Even though it may stir up trouble, it may bring persecution. Are you willing to learn to love? And if you are, not for my benefit, but just to tell the Lord, Lord, I'm willing. Throw your hand up. Just wave to him for just a second. Lord, I'm willing to learn to love. And if you're not there yet, that's okay. We'll walk with you till you're there. Lord, you see our hands. But above that, you see our hearts. And Lord, we're asking that you teach us to love. The way that you love. Not a love that just responds to, to love that's been given to us. But Lord, a love that responds to, to ugliness. A, Lord, uh, a love that responds when people try to push us away. When people do persecute us. Lord, you told us to love our enemies. Teach us to love. So we will be salty. Because above all else, Lord, we need to make this world thirsty for you. So, Lord, teach us to love. We receive that, Lord. If there's anything in our hearts, in our lives that's stopping us up, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would show that to us right now. If there's some unforgiveness, if there's some pain, if there's some bitterness that would keep us from loving, Holy Spirit, show that to us. So we can deal with it. Lord, you lovingly want to deal with those issues in our hearts and in our lives so we can be free to love. And Lord, we're willing. So whatever you say, we will do it. It may be painful. It may be scary. But Lord, we're not going to be held back by fear. In Jesus' name, amen.